Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Teller County Podcast for March 25th, 2020. We're joined today by Public Health Director Jackie Ravello and County Administrator Cheryl Decker. Glad to be here. Yes, thank you. Obviously, we're going to be talking about COVID-19 today, and we're going to localize that information for Teller County. Uh, Jackie, you want to talk a little bit about the history of COVID-19, this virus, and give it the, give the folks a little bit more information on how this originated? Yeah, I think it's important whenever you're evaluating a situation to kind of put it in perspective. And in this case, it's a historical perspective. Um, and I think it'll sort of help everyone understand a little bit about what the role of public health is when it comes to communicable disease containment. So most of us remember that we started hearing about COVID-19 back in late November, early December of 2019. Um, And we know that it started in China, and we know that the numbers rapidly increased over there. And there was, at least for myself, a little sense of, okay, it's over there, it's not here. And while interesting, I did not feel any immediate threat or risk. We did see it cross the ocean and come into the United States in mid-January, and we saw it come into Colorado in early March. We saw it come into Teller County just this past weekend. And I think one of the points that I'd like to make from a public health perspective is that novel viruses like COVID, and when we use the word novel, we're saying new, which means we're unfamiliar with it. They're interesting from the epidemiological point of view as we try to follow their patterns and look at ways that we can contain and mitigate it. Anything that is a threat to human life is a public health concern. I know, I know it's a, a shock to all of us that it, it actually made it over here to our front doors and our backyards and, and where we work and, and play. Has the role of public health had to change a little bit in response to this? It has. When it was over in China, and most of us are very active with our our travel, and thanks to technology and, and our, our air airlines and air services, people travel not only internationally, but internationally, um, interstate. Travel is, is easy to come by. And so while it was over in China, and when we started monitoring it, those individuals that were most at risk were those who had traveled internationally, especially as it spread across Europe to those countries that we were seeing outbreaks within. And so in the beginning, our monitoring focused on travel-related risk. And, you know, we were screening at the international airports. We were looking at things like cruise ships that had have large uh, international patronage. Um, and that was okay because we were our screening mechanisms were travel-related. Then we see that we saw the pathogen evolve to person-to-person, which is close contact. And so those people who came in back to the United States with infection, we were quarantining them. And again, the goal of quarantine is to basically, for people who don't have symptoms but may have had an exposure, we try to keep them away from healthy people to prevent transmission. So that lasted, and it was fairly effective for a while. But then we started to see the person-to-person transmission, which is close contacts. Then we saw it evolve to what we call community-acquired. And that's defined as people were becoming infected who had never left their community. And so the phase we're in now is we are seeing community transmission. In fact, we're seeing community widespread. And that is why where we're at now in our mitigation efforts is important for us to ask for the community's help in regards to trying to slow the progression. You know, Jackie, it's something I remember watching this January-ish thinking, what's the big deal? It sounds like the cold overseas. And I'm thinking, well, they probably don't have the doctors and medical staff to deal with it. 
But now really what you're seeing is, is there's a little more fear. And I think people are starting to see how fast it actually spread. Public health has compared it to the influenza virus, and we are just kind of starting to close on our influenza season. And when we look at not only rates of infection, but rates of hospitalization, rates of complications, and even perhaps death, this COVID virus still does not compare to the rates of of all of those with the influenza virus. So great perspective is to say, this is not as bad as the influenza virus. I think what instills fear in not only medical professionals, but public is that because this is new, there's a large, we, there's a lot we don't know. And I think that because we don't know, we don't have any prevention initiatives, we don't have any treatment initiatives. And so this virus is running its course. Now that's what the researchers are working on. They are looking at trying to understand the virus itself, trying to look at prevention me- measures, which look like they're going to come in the form of vaccine. So stay tuned. We'll probably be coming back to talk to you about when the vaccine is available and how we're going to try to administer it to as many people as we can. And then we're also looking at what what's the future. Viruses go through cycles. Sometimes they shift genetically. And so that's what the researchers are studying right now in order to protect us. But I think, um, as you said, Chair of Mike Saul, I think the scariest thing is that we don't know. And, and a lot of people that will instill fear for. It was surprising to me on how this has all kind of gone. It doesn't have the effect that it, uh, like a flu has in the U.S., but it's picked up so quickly and goes through a community like fire and then it just overwhelms the, the, the medical side. That's what surprised me. And I guess that was the point where I went, well, I guess it's not just the cold. This is more serious than what any of us had thought in the beginning. And, and I'm glad we have public health that can actually tell us and explain what those issues are. Because I think that's been one of the biggest issues is getting the message out about it. It's, it's no joke. This isn't something that may harm the younger folks or middle-aged folks, but it has the ability to overwhelm hospitals, which then causes other folks with other issues not to get the services they need. Right. That's what's really the scary piece. And one of the reasons for the rapid rate of transmission is because it's a virus our body is not familiar with. So none of us have any immunity against it. And the influenza virus is a good comparison, is that people who get seasonal flu vaccine and and over time with exposures, we have an immunity to it. It doesn't last very long, which is why we have to get the vaccine every year. But this is a novel virus. We have no immunity whatsoever. When you also add how it is transmitted is through droplet. So when you think about the moisture that comes from your coughing and sneezing. That is how it's transmitted. And when you look at how do we prevent that, and again, some of the reason why um, we have been issuing, public health has been issuing recommendations for distancing, social distancing, is to prevent the transmission. It's right up there with the cover your cough, wash your hands, don't touch your eyes and your face, because when you think about the respiratory system, that is the way that the virus is going to come into your body. So when we look at why is this, why are people maybe falling ill, we definitely know that the elderly, and it's defined as those over 60, are most at risk. Some of that is because of the natural waning of their immune systems as we age. The other uh, factor would be anybody with underlying medical conditions, especially if they are of respiratory origin. So when you think of things like asthma, COPD, any kind of lung cancers or anything, if your respiratory system is already compromised and then we introduce a virus, 
virus that is going to cause infection, you are at risk for not only those things, but secondary pneumonias. And so those are why we are looking at those. Uh, we're very concerned about the elderly popula population and can't stress enough the importance of following the social distancing recommendations, especially if you are over 60. And I want to get Cheryl, our county administrator, in here real quick on the social distancing. Can you kind of talk about how the county administration is supporting that with certain orders or proclamations from the, from the commissioners on how to help folks uh, understand and uh, kind of guide them? Well, what we've done through our public health order is request and urge people to stay at least six feet apart from each other. We've followed um, the recommendations and or orders from the governor about reducing our workforce. We're restricting our access to our buildings and still providing all of our services, but also working online and through the phones as much as possible. We recognize the only way to slow this transmission is to spread out. Kind of decentralized. Yeah, not be so close to each other while we're getting through this until we can flatten out this curve and, and slow down. It's ravaging our community. I think that's worked. I mean, I, I see everybody's mainly still at work. You know, they might be working in a different location or whatever, but we're still able to provide all those services. Yeah. Um, there are very few things that we can't do from a remote location. So if you aren't getting something done that needs to be done, get a hold of us and we'll make sure that you're getting into the right place. We are working very hard. That's one thing that I wanted to share today is that you've got some great, great people that work not only in the county, but also in the cities and all of our EMS and um, our special districts. It's, it's unbelievable about the work, dedication and efforts and care for our community that all these people are, are giving. So I have great, great kudos for our public health department, our EMS, everybody is working with everything they have. And if I might add to that, and again, the intent of the recommendations that facilitate social distancing is basically to slow the spread. It's impossible to prevent COVID, but we do need to reduce the risk of peak infections so we can flatten the curve and make it more manageable for our healthcare systems. When we look at if we can just bide some time, and that is going to be directly achieved by community compliance to our social distancing recommendations, it's not only going to slow the spread, but it will help us build capacity with which to address COVID. And that is in testing supplies. It's known that we have limited testing supplies, which is why we've moved a little bit away from testing everybody. It's going to help our hospitals prepare for the surge that may occur. And it's going to help us to get equipment like the PPE, the personal protective equipment that is in such limited supply, which is exactly what we need to protect our first responders. And so I will urge the community that it is only with your compliance and our ability to use the supplies that we have wisely and to protect our first responders, that we will be able to do that. You said something about testing. Let's 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 take that because I know you've got you guys have gotten a lot of calls about why did we do the testing and now we're not doing the testing and where are the kits and where is this and that and let's let's talk about that. A little right, bit. the testing is. The best way that we can track what is going on, not only with who's showing up with symptoms, but who can be laboratory confirmed to actually have COVID. Again, it mimics the influenza a lot in its symptom presentation. And so we were testing not only because we wanted to see the numbers, we wanted to be able to track the transmission rates. But then what happened was, is we started running out of testing supplies. And so CDPHE, the Colorado Department of Public 
Public Health and Environment started providing guidance on how to prioritize the supplies that we did have. And that centered around not only those in the high-risk categories, elderly, underlying conditions, healthcare workers, first responders, because it was important to know if they had COVID so we could implement the mitigation uh, efforts, which include monitoring or quarantining or isolating. And that was how the state health department started helping to make sure that the supplies were being used for those people who needed them most. And I think that's important for people to understand that everybody loves consistency and everybody thinks the government just has all the answers and we we're on this steady, steady track. And most times we are, but everybody needs to understand that you're also getting guidance from other agencies like the state and federal public health agencies. And so it's a changing situation and people need to be flexible, right? Yes, and definitely. If you remember back when it was fairly isolated to China, that it's the World Health Organization, which I, I consider them our global health department. And then in our country, we have the Centers for Disease Control, or CDC. They're sort of like our nation's public health department. And then each state has a health department, which is our CDPHE. And then there are local health departments. And so the guidance is coming down from the experts, not only locally, statewide, nationally, but internationally. And and that's where the scientists work, and that's where their guidance um, is, is the guidance that should be followed. Um, if I might, um, Commander Couch, I'd like to talk a little bit about sure. isolation and quarantine, um, because what's happening now, and public health does hold the statutory authority to issue isolation and quarantine orders. And in uh, every in other situations where we didn't have as many people that we need to be uh, quarantining and isolating, we may go through that formal process of issuing that legal order. However, because of the numbers with this outbreak, we are basically asking people to self-quarantine. So I want to differentiate what's the difference between quarantine and isolation. Self-quarantine is for people who don't have symptoms but have been close contacts of people who do have symptoms. And what its intent is is to basically stay away from others for the 14-day period to see if you become ill. If you become ill, we would ask you to self-isolate. And that is for people who are sick, people who may have symptoms of COVID. And again, that means staying away from others so that you don't pass on the disease. We have isolation requirements. And again, basically, it's the 14-day period. But I want to emphasize the importance of following those that recommendation and staying home if you are ill, staying home if you have been asked to self-quarantine, or staying home if you have been asked to self-isolate. Who is our high-risk group? Let's talk about that for just a minute and, and what their needs are and really gives, give them some information and clarity on the high-risk group and what that means. Okay, so our high-risk groups have been defined as the elderly, and they'd use the age of 60, although as I'm approaching 60, I don't feel elderly. Um, <laughs> and then we have those with the underlying medical conditions, um, and then we have those are that are healthcare workers and first responders. And, Greg, I think it's important, too, to note Jackie has a, a team of people that do a great job. And the thing is, is, you know, in this county, that team's not huge. I mean, for what their amount of, are able to accomplish during the day is pretty amazing. We as Teller County all fall under the Office of Emergency Management in the county. And so I and Jackie and Don Angel, we talk a lot about directions where things go. We report that to the county commissioners and our county administrator. We've been working with the city of Woodland Park, city of Cripple Creek, working together with them and their councils to identify, hey, this is where we're going with things. These are the needs. We're all working together. And 
Jackie's group, her small group, are such a huge component on the medical side of stuff and the predictive piece on where we're going, what we need to do, that it's so important. And out of such a small group, it's amazing what they're able to accomplish. It is. I've, I've, we all work hard. I know every employee in this county works very hard. But now I can see that because I see people from public works. I see people from, from other departments, and I'm like, okay, that's that guy. You know, that's that lady. I, I put a face with a name, but it's just amazing how many people I've met that I've always emailed and stuff before, but I've never seen her face. Yeah, we are small but mighty. That's right. That's right. And I have to give kudos to the public health team. I think one of the things that um, is very true is that when public health is doing their job, you never hear about us. But when something new comes along that we have to learn about, and again, I think this is probably one of the most rapid learning experiences that public health has seen in quite a while, that when we're doing our job, we prevent. And that is what, our, what would our, all of our efforts are geared towards. You know what's what's crazy about this event too, which is kind of new territory, is we've never had an event where public health um, and the sheriff's office and the county as a whole had to work together on that one event at such a level. I think because the spread was so quick and it's throughout everything we do. It's not like a fire where you see it coming. This is a fire that built from within and it's all around you all the time and you can't even see it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference in understanding. So there's a lot of fear. And so there's a lot of work that goes into quelling those fears and making it as an understandable event as possible. And I think throughout everyone working together on this, we've been able to identify what the evil is. What are we fighting? What is that battleground? What is the war that we're talking about that we're fighting against COVID? And we're starting to be able to define what that is, how to fight it, and and how to protect yourselves uh, personally also from from what it is. That's huge. And I think this county's done one of the best jobs I've seen anywhere in the state of being able to identify it, get out in front of it, and deal with those issues as organizations working together. And, and that's uh, what we call now hashtag Teller Strong. Well said, Jason. And again, public health response is complex, and it deals with not only pathogens like viruses, but it deals with people's lives, their livelihoods, our geography, um, not always as black and white as being able to see the boundaries of a fire. So that was a really good analogy. Um, but again, I want to emphasize that because we are, this does impact people's lives, It will. this is a community problem, and it's going to take the community to help solve it. That's a great point and a great lead into my next uh, topic, and that's the community response. What are you seeing from the community? What do you want to tell them? Uh, is there kudos to be given out to the community? Oh, I don't know. How, how much time do we have on that one? <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, there is. And again, I think, um, and, and as I remember back to Chateau and Waldo Canyon fire responses, the, the volunteerism that we see, people stepping up to the plate, we have had an outpouring of offers of not only donations, but what, what can I do? What can I help you with? And it goes across the board from, you know, county agencies to city agencies to elected officials to nonprofit agencies to faith-based agencies. We have many, many entities that have reached out. And so we have used um, all of their uh, resources. And again, in our call center, when people ask for resources, and I know that there's the Department of Human Services as well as agencies like Community Partnership, we are all tracking what is available. And I, I think that Teller County, again, Teller County Strong is a great way to think about it, is that we have come to the table and we will get through this. It's great to hear talk about post-COVID, post this. 
there will be a time when we are not dealing with this anymore. And people need to just focus on that and keep your chin up and know that everybody in this room, everybody that works in this county, all the community, we are all pulling together. Let's talk about the businesses real quick. What are you seeing from the business community that makes you happy? Um, I'll be honest with you. When the, when the order came down from the governor's office to close restaurants and casinos and theaters and places that are very much a part of people's lifestyles and livelihoods, I was I was kind of like I've never seen this was unprecedented in in my career, and I was worried for those businesses, especially at our local level, the small businesses about could they survive such such a because we know a lot of the owners. I mean, they're friends mm-hmm. of ours, you know. But then when you see that the comments coming out from the community are things like, I'm going to buy gift cards from that restaurant for future use, or I'm going to do the takeout once a week. And I think that I am hopeful that we will be able to survive the economic impact of this as much as I am the health impacts of this. I want to just kind of add a little bit to what you said is COVID isn't going to go away if we kind of look back and parallel it to when H1N1 presented and that too then about 10 years ago was a novel virus. And now when we think about that, we don't blink twice when we say H1N1, and it's part of our seasonal flu vaccine. And so COVID, I don't think it's going to go away. I think we will get a vaccine for it. And I think hopefully maybe it won't be two shots during the season, but one. Um, But it it will become more normal. It will become a part of what our microbiologic world looks like. We'll have something to combat it and Mm -hmm. we'll be able to live, I guess, with it. You know what, what is interesting, though, to me is that you think about like Ebola, and what the CDC and the World Health Organizations have done and the public health of stopping those in their tracks, you know, that's a proud moment for those organizations because when you start dealing with this and seeing how fast it can spread and it didn't have the deadliness those did, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of the fact that our, that our health departments are able to get in front of so much and do so many things. And I think you're right, Jackie. I think someday we're going to look back on this and go, well, it's just our common cold. Mm-hmm. But in 2000... Or 2020, it caused this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's – you're seeing history, and it's scary history, but it is it is part of what we're dealing with now. World travel has caused us the ability to transmit things super fast. Is there anything else anybody wants to add that I didn't ask? No, I just have to say thank you to everybody in the in the county and in the cities who are helping us do our work. We couldn't do it without you, and I think that, you know, no matter what the uh, threat or event is, it takes everybody to respond. We're one small piece of the response, but I just have to say thank you to all our community partners for all of their support throughout this. One thing I wanted to say was that um, we need you guys in the community to continue to step up and to do some social distancing. Don't go out unless you have to. Do everything you can to help those of us in the public health world, and I don't mean me personally, but um, and our first responders so they can stay safe and get home to see their families and do everything that you can to be part of the, the, the solution. Yeah, and, and Greg, I would follow it up with one last thing, and that is, Make sure when you're looking at news, make sure it's credible news. This is Teller COVID website. You can get the podcasts here for Teller County. We release the information that is pertinent to Teller County and all of the different requirements come through the state. It's a trusted source. What's been happening is we've had a lot of non-trusted sources that are putting out complete baloney. And those people should be ashamed of themselves for doing that because they cause such a fear within the community. Those people that are doing that, you don't want them as part of your community. And I think they're hurting our community. So what I would say is trust the trusted sources. Facebook doesn't always tell you the truth. (laughs) 
um, because of the types of people that are posting. So whatever you do, follow us if you can. But um, we want to be here for you and we want to give you the right information. So just keep watching our channel. Yeah, I always, folks, always vet your information. You, you can get information off social media. That's great. But go a little bit farther. Go that extra mile. Vet the information. Go to the official sources like uh, the sheriff and everybody in this room is wanting you to do. We'll make sure Tommy, our producer, has that information and those links included in the podcast description. And uh, we're going to go ahead and close it out. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will be back. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Cheryl, for coming in. This podcast was made possible by the Teller County Honorary Deputy Sheriff's Association. The HDSA is a nonprofit organization dedicated to increasing public safety and awareness by providing safety and survivability equipment to deputies, administering community events like Shop with a Hero, and enabling information programs like this podcast.